This is the message given by Pastor James Lim during the morning worship service at Faith Presbyterian Church, Long Beach, California, for January 21st, 2024. The title of the message is Blessed Purity. Good morning. It is always uh, my great privilege to open God's Word and to uh, teach God's Word um, from it. So if you'd open your Bibles with me, we continue in our morning series through the Beatitudes, which is part of the larger series through uh, the Sermon on the Mount. If you turn with me to Matthew chapter 5, we come to the blessed purity that God promises to those who are pure in heart. Before we hear God's word read, let's go to the Lord in prayer for his Holy Spirit to uh, make known to us the truths uh, in his word and uh, what we're about to hear through the preaching of that word. Let's pray together. Our Father, we come boldly before you uh, to your throne room of grace for help in our time of need. Help us, Lord, by giving us your spirit so that we might be convinced of the truth, convicted of our sin, and pointed, uh, ushered uh, to our Savior through faith. Lord, I pray that you would be with me. Lord, would you empower uh, my words. Uh, may the meditations of my heart and the, and the uh, words of my mouth be pleasing in your sight so that your word would go forth and it would not return unto you void. We ask, Lord, all these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Hear now the reading of God's holy word, beginning in verse 1. Seeing the crowds, he went up on the mountain, and when he sat down, his disciples came to him, and he opened his mouth and taught them, saying, Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are those who mourn, for they shall be comforted. Blessed are the meek, for they shall inherit the earth. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they shall be satisfied. Blessed are the merciful, for they shall receive mercy. Blessed are the pure in heart, for they shall see God. Man shall not live by bread alone, every word that comes from the mouth of God. To a hammer, everything looks like a nail, the saying goes. To a cynic, everything is cynical. Uh, What you are in your heart colors how you see the world around you. And this is what Paul, uh, I think Paul meant when he said in Titus chapter 1 verse 15, He said this, to the pure, all things are pure, but to the defiled and and unbelieving, nothing is pure, but both their minds and their consciences are defiled. See how, who we are, what we are from the heart colors the way that we see everything. Uh, And one way to think about it is if our hearts are defiled, then we're going to see through defiled eyes, and then everything is defiled, right? But if our hearts are pure and holy, then our eyes, the eyes of our hearts will be 
pure and holy. And that's how we're going to see things. We're going to look for the pure and holy. We're going to be able to discern between what is unpure, what is unholy, what is evil, what's sinful, and distinguish it from what is pure and holy. And this is what our beatitude is all about this morning. The character of our heart determines the character of what and how we see the things in this world. How we look and see uh, God. This morning we see the blessing of a pure and holy heart that then enables us to see a pure and holy God. Let Let me say that one more time. We see the blessing of a pure and holy heart that then enables us to see a pure and holy God. That's the blessing that Jesus explains to us this morning. So what does it mean then to be pure in heart? And why can't we see God, right? Why is it that only the pure in heart uh, shall see God? First, um, what is being pure in heart? It's a moral purity and a sincerity of the heart. Uh, It's an inward holiness of character that arises from the heart. It's a holiness of heart that is pure and holy in the likeness of the one who is himself pure, absolutely pure and holy. And this is how God originally made us in his image. He who is holy and pure, he who is holy and pure of heart, made us to be originally holy and pure of heart just to be like him. And so that is going to, um, it, 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 it is the original way in which God made us. And not only is it a purity and holiness of heart, but it's also a sincerity or a transparency of heart. In other words, what you see is what you get if you're pure in heart. Right? Think of it as like a, a, a pool Uh, in the heart of of who we are, and if it's clear, you can see right through it. You can see right into it. And that's that's another aspect of what Jesus is describing here. And that's why we read Psalm 24. He gives us uh, the definition. He explains uh, who is the one who can enter into uh, into the, to the kingdom, right, whose gates are, are raised up so that he can enter, is the one who has clean hands and a pure heart. And what makes him clean and what makes him pure? He is one who does not lift up his soul to what is false and does not swear deceitfully. Uh, John Stott uh, says it this way, uh, of the, the, the sincere in heart. Their whole life, public and private, is transparent before God and men. Their very heart, including their thoughts and motives, is pure, unmixed with anything devious, ulterior, or base. Hypocrisy and deceit are abhorrent to them. They are without guile. But this is the way way God originally made us, but it's not the way we ended up. After the fall, our hearts became polluted and defiled. When God made us pure in heart, sin made us polluted from the heart. They became hard as stone and dead in trespasses and sins. 
and like a spring polluted at its very source, everything downstream is polluted. And this is how sin plays out in the, in, in the lives of sinful and fallen people. It's not what goes into us that defiles us or makes us sinful. It's what comes out of us because that's what's already in us. Jesus put it this way. This is what defiles a person, he says uh, in, in Matthew. For out of the heart come evil thoughts, murder, adultery, sexual immorality, theft, false witness, slander. These are what defile a person. Think of it this way. The heart is the root from which we bear the fruit of our lives. And so if our heart is defiled, the fruit we bear from our heart in our lives is also defiled. It's also sinful. And this is why later on in Matthew chapter 5, we're going to look at it uh, in, in the coming weeks, Jesus is going to teach us how a good tree cannot bear bad fruit, nor a bad tree bear good fruit. For each tree is known by its fruit. He says this in verse 43 and 40 to 45. The good person out of the good treasure of his heart produces good, and the evil person out of his evil treasure produces evil. For out of the abundance of the heart, his mouth speaks. So why can only the pure in heart see God? Why can't those who are polluted in heart, like just, you know, the fallen condition of, of humanity after Adam, why are those who are polluted in heart are unable to see God? And it's because if the heart is dead in sin, so are the eyes of the heart. Uh, how can dead people see anything? And so we're spiritually dead. The eyes of our hearts uh, can't see anything good. Like cataracts, sin not only pollutes the heart, but clouds the eyes so we cannot see God nor the things of God. It's the spiritual blindness of sin that keeps us from seeing him. And it's the spiritual blindness that keeps us from seeking after God. Uh, this, is, this is, for example, this is why we, we respond to stressors or triggers the way that we do. Think of your heart like a sponge. Whatever it is soaked in, whatever it is made up of, when we have stressors and triggers and when, when, when anxiety and when life comes and squeezes us, like a sponge, whatever is in our hearts will come out. So if we're dead in our trespasses and sins, we're going to have sinful anger. So when, when we're stressed and squeezed, our heart's squeezed in, then what's going to come out? Anger. Or anxiety. When we're, if our hearts are filled with unbelief and, and we're anxious about what we're going to eat, what we're going to wear, uh, when life squeezes us, we are going to be anxious. We are going to be um, worried. And so when you think about how you respond, depending on the circumstances, this is, this is the source of why you respond the way that you do, sinfully, angrily, jealously, uh, with lust, with covetousness, with greed, 
This is also why, for example, non-believers, including atheists and agnostics, deny the existence of God. Um, because within them, there is already a predisposition not to seek after God, not to want to know God, not to want to see him. And so they say that if you can't prove, for example, the existence of God empirically or with evidence beyond a shadow of a doubt, then for them, uh, they, they say that God doesn't exist. Now, I'm not saying that Christians can prove God's existence without a shadow of doubt, but we can appeal to evidence that points to his existence, that tend towards his existence, for example, through the elegant design and perceived beauty of the natural world, of the created universe, uh, the fine-tuning of the physical laws of nature, uh, that if they were uh, even off by the smallest of margins, everything would fall apart. Or the, uh, or, or the existence of a moral law by which many of those atheists and agnostics can argue for human rights and justice, right? How can you say that something is just or unjust if you don't believe in a universal, objective, moral idea of justice? And if you do, where did you get it from? Uh, Christianity in the gospel says those things you presuppose because the God of justice exists in this universe, and he created justice. He, he, and that's how we know that things are just or unjust, good or evil. And so you have to presuppose that which you deny. My point is this, that atheists and agnostics have a vested interest in acknowledging the existence of whether the God of the Bible exists or not. Uh, if you don't want God to exist, then you're not going to look for him. You're going to look at all the evidence that points to his existence, and you're going to suppress it and say, no, you know what? I can spin that evidence a different way, and to me, I can, I can explain all that away, and, and to me, God doesn't exist. Uh, Thomas Nagel uh, an NYU professor of philosophy and an, and an atheist, an avowed atheist, he kind of lists the veil uh, under the heart and thinking of agnostics and atheists. And he says this, he talks about the fear of religion. He says, I am talking of the fear of religion itself. I speak from experience being strongly subject to this fear myself. I want atheism to be true. It isn't just that I don't believe in God and naturally hope that I'm right in my belief. It's that I hope there is no God. I don't want there to be a God. I don't want the universe to be like that. I am curious whether there's anyone who is genuinely indifferent as to whether there is a God. Anyone who, whatever his actual belief about the matter, doesn't particularly want either one of the answers to be correct. See, what he's saying is, is that there is, there is a vested interest uh, in not acknowledging the existence of God, and it is the spiritual blindness 
that is inherent in us because of our sin. Uh, that explains that. But there's one more reason why we can't see God. It's because God is pure and holy and he cannot stand in the presence of sin. He can't tolerate it. He can't, he, so he has to destroy it because he is a just God. He is a good God who cannot, uh, he cannot uh, face, uh, allow evil to exist. And the writer of Hebrews says that God is a consuming fire and that it is a fearful thing to, to fall into the hands of the living God. And so because God is holy, nothing unholy, nothing sinful can stand in the presence of God, let alone see God and live. This is why God said to Moses, you cannot see my face for man shall not see me and live. And so what can we do? How do we become pure in heart in order to see God? And this brings us to my second point. Because we're polluted in heart because of sin, Jesus in the gospel makes us pure in heart so that we can see God. And he does this in two ways. <clears throat> and, uh, and, let me, and I have this outline from Ezekiel 36 who, where he outlines what God is going to do in the gospel and the coming of the Messiah and the new covenant. First, he is going to cleanse our hearts. He says in uh, Ezekiel 36, 25, I will sprinkle clean water on you and you shall be clean from all your uncleanness. From all your idols, I will cleanse you. And then secondly, in cleansing our hearts, he gives us new hearts. I will give you a new heart and a new spirit I will put within you and I will remove the heart of stone from your flesh and give you a heart of flesh. Ezekiel 36, 26. And in giving us a new heart, he gives us a new life by which to walk in his ways, to live in holiness and purity of heart. I will put my spirit within you and cause you to walk in my statutes and be careful to obey all my rules. Ezekiel 36, 27. And this is what Jesus came to do in the gospel. He came to cleanse us from our sins and make us pure in heart. We finally can then open our, the eyes of our hearts so we can finally see God. Now, we're still works in progress. We are sanctified and freed from the penalty and the power and the pollution of our sin. But as we grow in grace, in union with Christ, we are being made more and more holy, more and more pure, just as he is pure. And so how do we grow in holiness? How do we grow in purity of heart? First, we have to recognize that it's all by grace, not by works. The whole point of being pure in heart is that we can't make ourselves pure. It's all of grace from beginning to end. It is God who cleanses our hearts. It is God who gives us new hearts, and we can't do that ourselves. Secondly, it doesn't mean that we sit back then and do nothing because it's by grace. It is that same grace that, that saves us that's the same grace that sanctifies us. Paul says this in uh, Ephesians 2, 8 
to 10. Uh, Having been saved by grace through faith, not a result of works, we are saved in Christ then, verse 10, for good works, which God prepared beforehand so that we should walk in them. Paul goes on to say in Philippians that God who began a good work in you will bring it to completion at the day of Jesus Christ. For it is God who works in you both to will and to work for his good pleasure. Uh, Philippians 1.6 and chapter 2.13. And so what that means then is that you have to take an active role in your sanctification, in your becoming more and more holy, to continue in that process that God began in you when you became born again, when you were set free from, your, from death and slavery to sin, and now you are being more and more made like Jesus, more and more holy, more and more pure. So how do we do that? It means growing in your understanding of grace through knowing more and more of the grace that you have in Scripture. It means growing in your prayer life and your communion with Christ. It means growing in your private family and congregational worship. It means growing in your regular sharing of the gospel that saved you, and therefore you share it with others. It means engaging in and enjoying more and more fellowship with your fellow saints as well as with God. The point I want to make here is that we are called to continue to grow in the Christian life to grow in our sanctification, to become more and more pure and holy. And I know some of you may be saying to yourself, oh, that sounds really great, Pastor, you know, and and maybe that's a little overly pious language, Pastor, but um, that's one of the ways in which we grow in our faith. Here's the paradox of growing uh, more and more holy. And I hope you will uh, identify with this. The The more holy God makes you, the more sinful you know yourself to be. Because your the eyes of your hearts has been made more and more pure. When you look in the mirror, you see uh, the depth of your sin. And it is through then that grace of acknowledging you can repent of that sin. And and God will make you more and more pure and and so that you can shed that sin. And the more and more pure you are, the less and less polluted you are in your heart because of sin, the clearer you are able to behold God by faith. Do you see that gospel logic there? And so you can grow and bear fruit of that holiness in your life. Can I challenge you, friends, brothers and sisters? Are you growing in your sanctification? Are you growing uh, more and more to be like Jesus? Are you turning away from those sins that, that just make your Christian life so hard? Anger, jealousy, lust laziness, whatever it might be? Are you 
pushing them off more and more and then desiring to be more like Jesus in the holiness of your life, growing in, in your love for him, growing in grace, forgiving more, laying down your life more for those around you, uh, not being as prideful as you once were, This brings us then to my last point. We are made pure in heart in the gospel, not just to be saved in order to see God by faith, right? It's not just so that we can behold God by faith uh, as we are becoming more and more pure in heart. But we are made more pure beginning in the heart so that when God is finished with the work of, of salvation in our lives, on that great day of glory, we can behold him as he is with our very own eyes. This is the great promise of God from the very beginning, that he created us in his image so we can behold him in all his splendor and glory and to worship him as he is. That he gave us eyes not just to see the things of the world, but to see him. This is how Adam and Eve experienced God in the garden. Before the fall, and then after the fall, what did they do? They tried to run away from God because they didn't want to see God in his holiness and in his beauty. And we, as those who are fallen, but marred in the image, but still having that inherent desire to see God, We've been yearning to see him ever since. And this is what we call the beatific vision, the blessed vision of God. The great hope and promise that Jesus lays out before us in this beatitude is to behold the greatest blessing that anyone could ever have. And what is that? To behold the Lord in his glory and splendor. And what kept us from doing that was our sin, because God is holy. But in the gospel, Jesus redeemed us to that great blessing and the hope of seeing God. This is the great hope uh, that Isaiah had, where our eyes will behold the king in his beauty. That the psalmist had in Psalm 17, that we shall behold your face in righteousness. And when I awake, I shall be satisfied with your likeness. Or in 1 John 3, 23, 3, 2, and 3, Beloved, we are God's children now, and what we will be has not appeared, but we know that when he appears, we shall be like him, because we shall see him as he is, and everyone who thus hopes in him purifies himself as he is pure. This is the great hope, then, of Job. At the end of it all, after all his suffering, Nothing could take away that great hope when he says, For I know that my Redeemer lives, and at that last day he will stand upon the earth, and after my skin has been destroyed, yet in my flesh I shall see God, whom I shall see for myself. My eye shall behold, and not another. This is the great hope, friends of why God gave you eyes to see, not just in the heart, but eyes in your head so that you can behold 
his beauty and glory. So friends, brothers and sisters, let us grow in holiness. Because the more we grow in holiness, the more we desire to see God, to be holy as he is holy, to be pure as he is pure. And so let us remember then how polluted our hearts once were so that we couldn't see God. But Christ has redeemed us in the gospel and has given us new hearts, pure hearts, so that we may have that great hope of seeing a pure and holy God. And may, may we hold on to that great hope and promise that blessed, blessed indeed, are the pure in heart, for they shall see God. Let's pray together. Our Father, we thank you for this great promise and hope that you, pure, you give us a purity of heart in the gospel so that we may behold a pure and holy God, that we may behold you. Bless us, O Lord, this morning. In Jesus' name we pray, amen.